Okay, we're in Luke chapter 8 tonight, and uh, let's go ahead and get into the Word of God. Luke chapter 8, and we'll see how far we get tonight. I'm not sure if we'll get as far as I'm hoping to. That's usually the case though, right? Okay, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. I'm going to stop there. Uh, as we enter into chapter 8... We get this list. Now, Now, oftentimes when we say the word disciples, we tend to think of the 12 disciples, which is not wrong at all by any means because oftentimes they're referred to as the 12 and they were disciples of Jesus. And of course, already in Luke, we've seen that they've been given the title of apostles, those 12. But now we also see that there's something quite scandalous here in Jesus's ministry. And that's the fact that he had women also following this rabbi. And that was not normal in the first century for women to accompany and be disciples of this rabbi. It wasn't their place uh, among them. And yet Jesus welcomed them to be a part, to, to, to follow, to be a part of the ministry. And, and uh, look at who's named here. First of all, we, we read that there's some women who had been healed of infirmities and and the evil spirits, specifically Mary Mag- called Magdalene is mentioned, who from seven demons had gone out. Now, uh, church, kind of his lore, I should say, uh, especially in the Roman Catholic Church, they, they had Mary Magdalene as a prostitute, and I think they still do have that way. We don't know that by any means. So if you have that idea about Mary Magdalene, that's not something biblical. That's more of something traditional. And I'm not even sure really where they get that from. But what we do know, what is biblical, is seven demons were cast out of this woman. Uh, This woman was harassed by demonic uh, uh, oppression. And Jesus had set her free. How beautiful is that? Now, uh, by the way, they recently, and we're talking, I think, in 2010, right around there. Maybe it was a little bit before they discovered Magdala off the Sea of Galilee there. You can go online and Google it and find out all about it. And they, have the, they found a synagogue there, the, uh, the Magdala Stone, and, and uh, they're still excavating. They've hardly even excavated the majority of Magdala. We had the <clears throat> privilege of being there this last February, and it was just awesome. But that's where Mary of Magdalene would have been from, not too far from Capernaum. Uh, and... Uh, so Mary Magdalene was one who followed Jesus. And then we read about jo- Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Now, uh, this is interesting. This is a woman of great means, obviously. Her husband is the household manager of, of Herod. But, but notice the difference. You have a woman who was demon-possessed, and you have a woman who's high in society. And they're both following Jesus. They're both seeking after his teaching. And, so, and, and we read that, that Joanna, Susanna, and many others, they also provided for Jesus and the disciples out of their means. 
Joanna, by the way, and Mary Magdalene are some, uh, some of the women mentioned who discover the empty tomb first. So when, you, when we get there in Luke, uh, eventually at the end, we're going to see Joanna was one of those who was the, the uh, women who discovered the empty tomb and came back and told the disciples. But, but they provided for them out of their means, and, and we see that they're supporting them. Now, I, I do want to say this about Jesus. In a way, this is kind of amazing that Jesus allows them to support him, that he involves them in that ministry. And what do I mean by that? Well, remember, when Jesus was asked to pay the temple tax, uh, when, when the, they, they came and were kind of accusing Peter and, oh, doesn't your master pay the temple tax? Which, which would have been a half shekel, half silver shekel per, per male. Uh, and Peter came to Jesus and said, hey, look, these guys are shaking us down for the temple tax. What are we going to do? We don't have any money. And uh, I'm just kidding about shaking down. Uh, and, and, and Jesus said, okay, listen, Peter, uh, first of all, d- does a son, does the prince pay the temple tax? And, and uh, of course, Peter said, well, no, that if you're a prince in the kingdom, you shouldn't be paying the tax. Uh, he's like, okay, but just so, you, so they, they don't have anything to complain about. Go throw your line in, pull out a fish, and you'll find a coin in the fish's mouth. And so, sure enough, Peter catches a fish. Inside that fish is a, a, a full shekel for which he paid for both Peter, for, for Jesus and himself, the temple tax. But what I'm saying is that, that Jesus had a supply and resource that he didn't need to go to these women. I mean, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He fed 4,000 men plus women and children. He wasn't ever lacking the, the power to produce something. He had all the resources of heaven available to him. And yet he, he allowed these women to be a part of the ministry and support it. And uh, I think it's a testimony both to these women and to J- the humility of Jesus that, that he involves us in that ministry. And, and I love that. I love the fact that we today still get to give cheerfully to the Lord. We, we get to be a part of that ministry and, and serve him in that way. And so uh, there's a beautiful list of, of these women that are supporting Jesus and the, and the disciples and following them. And so when you think about the disciples and Jesus moving along, don't think of them as, as the picture of just these, the, they're just these 12, that's it. No, there were always more with them. And then there were times at which Jesus would pull out the three, James, Peter, and John, uh, and, uh, and, and specifically work with them. Uh, but there was a lot more than just the apostles um, w- following him around. So we're going to move into verse 4. Now, uh, as we get into verse 4, I want to challenge you on something. I think most of us have read the parable of the sower, and I guess really it's almost um, kind of misnamed. It probably should be called the parable of soils. Uh, because that's really what the, the parable is targeting is the soil. But I, as we get into this parable, um, I want you to do a couple things. One, I want you to try to hear it as the disciples would have heard it, those following Jesus. I, I don't want you to, I know in VBS we just did that. It was the main theme of VBS. And so we're kind of, we, we know the end of the story. But I want you to think of it a little bit more from their perspective, what they were hearing, uh, and try to kind of uh, be there with them. And then we'll get into the, to the, um, the, the 
understanding of it. But another thing about this parable, uh, a parable is a story, a, a truth a, a, or a, a, a spiritual truth that is, that is alongside of a story. And so it's a way of teaching something that, that we understand physically, that, that we can grab hold of, and that there's a spiritual truth about the kingdom of God that's thrown alongside of it so that we might have understanding. Uh, similar to an illustration, but not the same thing. So, so we oftentimes use an illustration in teaching the Bible so that we can better have a, a grasp of a truth or something like that. But a parable is usually specifically given, and, and generally there's one main truth to the parable. Okay, oh, it's a mistake when you start trying to look for everything to mean something with parables. And, and usually if there, there's more than one truth, it's said. But generally there's like one truth with the parables uh, that trying to, Jesus is trying to get across. So let's get into verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now just, just kind of consider that's what you heard from Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I was there that day, I'd be like, huh? Wait, okay, seed, uh, soil, scattered. Is there a direction we're going here, Jesus? What's happening? I, like, I, if I just heard this, I would be a little bit confused. And I would want to go ask Jesus, Jesus, I'm embarrassed. I want to say I understood you, but I don't understand you. Explain it to me. Of course, some would say, this guy speaks nonsense. I'm out of here. I don't need a farming lesson. I came to hear this. This prophet of God, I came to hear this man who's unfolding things and doing miracles, and he's speaking about farming, I'm out. Or like the disciples, you can come and say, I haven't got a clue what you're talking about, and I'm embarrassed. So let's look at verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Now, at that point, you're like, oh, good. But now I feel even dumber. If it's been given to me, I I, I don't know. So he says, but for others, they are in parables. So, So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time, in the time of testing, fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So now Jesus gives the understanding to the parable. Now to Jesus, he says, listen, these truths, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. So the first question is, you, you might, we might ask, well, how do we know the secrets of the kingdom of God? Well, it's Jesus. It's, it's knowing Jesus. It's walking with Jesus. It's hearing him teach truth and receiving his word. There's the secrets of the kingdom of God. And so he begins to unfold this parable about the seed. And he says something. He's quoting from Isaiah 6, 9. Go and tell the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Uh, there is an aspect when our hearts are hard and rejecting of the things of God that, that we see, but we really aren't understanding or perceiving. We're, we're hearing, but we're not really understanding God's word. We're just, we're hard. And so it's just like blah, blah, blah. You know in the, the, the Peanuts uh, cartoons, when anytime you have an adult or a teacher, it's just like, womp, 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 right? But th- that's sometimes our hearts before God. All we're hearing is womp, 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 because we have no heart to receive. We, we don't have a mind to desire to understand because sometimes the things of God are considered foolishness to the unsaved. And so Jesus says, look, for some of these, they're going to be ever seeing but never, understand, never, never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. So now he gets into the, the explanation of this parable. First of all, the seed is the word of God. Now think about a seed for a moment. The power in a seed uh, it's really quite amazing when you think about the power of a seed because you go to the store and you say, oh, we want to start a garden or a farm, whatever it is you want to start. You go buy a packet of seeds and this, this packet of seeds costs like $1.50 or I don't even know, you know, I haven't bought seeds for a long time. But, but you get this whole packet of seeds and, and sometimes that packet of seeds has hundreds of seeds. And then you plant, you know, five of those seeds and you get five plants starting to sprout. And of those five plants, you have like, if it's pumpkins, you have these pumpkins starting to grow. And, and then, of course, anybody who's opened up a pumpkin ever sees that there's hundreds of seeds within the pumpkin itself. And, and the produce, the fruit yielded from one seed is almost, un, we can't count it. it. It just is so multiplied from that one seed that was planted. And that's the idea here of the power of the seed. And listen, I want to say something about God's word. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's powerful. God's word is powerful. It's compared to this two-edged sword. And and when you think about a two-edged sword stabbing or being thrust in, it it, it cuts with no problem. It goes right in. And so sharp that it's it's able to separate, to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow, completely discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. 
that word, the word is powerful. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is, I'm going to wait for the, there we go. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is so powerful. God's Word is sufficient. It's sufficient for all we need for life and godliness. We don't need anything else. We don't need another Christian book. We don't need uh, someone, another guru or anything like that in Christianity. We just need God's word. And we need to desire it and understand it. It's powerful. No, obviously, we're not saying that preaching isn't one of the gifts of the spirit and and teaching. We, We see that in scripture. It's clearly laid out. But the idea is that we don't say that, oh, I need a preacher so that I can know God's way. No, I, I, I need God's word in my life because it's powerful. So the issue isn't the power of the seed in this parable. The issue is the heart to receive the seed. That's what the parable is about. Is what kind of soil is ready to receive that, that word, that powerful word of God. Proverbs twenty seven nineteen says, uh, Proverbs twenty seven nineteen. It says, "As in water, face uh, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects the man." And and it, the whole idea here is that that uh, when we look into a water, it's like a mirror, right? You you see your face back at you, uh, and the fact is is that the heart reflects who the man is. The heart reflects the type of soil the person has in their lives. And so here we get into this parable and we see the first, the first seed that is spread. Look where it falls. The seed is, is the word of God, verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So the first issue is that this, the, the word on the, the seed that falls on the path it never has time to actually be planted. It just hits hard, durable ground, not ready to be received. And sorry, is it hot in here today? Are you guys good? Okay, maybe it's just up here with all the lights. So I'm like, whew, sweating. Um, <clears throat> okay, so, so the first seed that falls on the path is on this hard, durable ground. And uh, notice the, the strategy of the enemy the strategy of the enemy, and it's represented here by the birds of the air, is to snatch away the word before it ever takes, takes uh, uh, to, to the ground, before it can ever sprout. Snatch it away so that the person can't believe. And, and, and I, I think it's important to recognize the strategy that Satan absolutely wants to snatch away the word from us. He wants to distract you. He wants to keep you away from the word. He wants to do whatever he can to, to get you to not learn the word, to make every excuse. You know what? Hey, we got to watch the new TV show. We got to watch the new whatever. We got to do this. We got to do this. We're too busy. We don't have time for the word. Uh, there's a strategy there that, that hinders belief because let's just snatch away the word. Uh, but anyway, this, this individual, the seed falls on and never has a chance to take root. It's... It's uh, the devil comes and takes it away, the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, 
and in time of testing, they fall away. Of course, in, in Luke's uh, gospel, it says uh, earlier when Jesus tells the parable, it says there was no moisture there. It was, it was rock. So it kind of sprung up quick with whatever was surface, but there was no depth to those roots. And so because there was no root, root it sprang up. But as soon as that sun comes out, as soon as the trial happens, it's just scorched. It never takes root. Now, look at what it says. It says they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So time of testing is the things that we don't want, right? It's, uh, it, it, it's the, the trials of life. It's, it's the, the, the sickness, the illness. It's, it's the, the tribulation. It's the persecution. It's all those things of life that we don't want. And so in that time of testing, the believer, the one who has that good soil, they turn to the word to be fortified in the time of testing they turn to the word to be comforted, but the person who has no root, they turn away from the word and to the world because they say, oh, how could God do this to me? You know what? If God's going to do this to me, I don't want any part of it. I'm on my own. I'm going away. I'm doing my own thing. They have no real roots there. Versus the way the believer responds to that time of testing is we go deeper into God's word. We go deeper into our relationship with the Lord God in our time of testing. And, and the true believer, the, the one who really loves the Lord, we find ourselves in time of testing growing deeper with our relationship with God. We find ourselves knowing God in a way that is much more than we ever did before. Consider Job for a moment. Job, you know, all of his friends were saying, look, you must have sinned in some way, Job. You must have done something to deserve all this calamity in your life. You've, you've lost everything, Job. You, you've lost your, your resources, your farm. Your, you've lost all your finances. You've lost your whole family. You've even lost your health. You've you got to confess something, Job. And Job's like, I didn't do anything. I, I haven't done a thing. And so Job is asking this question, why, why, why the whole time? And finally, when God responds to Job... He never answers the question why. He actually asked Job a question in, in response. Actually, asked a lot of questions. And as God answers the question, asks Job questions. Hey, Job, were you there when I created? Job, do, do you understand who feeds the goats in the mountains? Job, do you understand who controls the Leviathan? And God begins to ask Job all these series of questions, and eventually Job responds, oh, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to answer my questions. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in that day I will see him in my flesh, even though I may die. Job finally realizes as he, as he meets God, and as God responds to him in his in, in with, with revealing himself to Job, that Job's like, I don't even care now about all those trials. I know you. And, and I know you in a greater way than I ever did before. And praise God for Job, because through his sufferings and his trials, we all learn more about God as we read the book of Job. And so the believer goes deeper to the Lord when we face trials and, and the sun is scorching and and we're, we're enduring with the hardships of life. We go deeper. 
But the one who, the, where the seed fell on the rock, it, it, it withers away, falls away. Look at verse 14. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So this is the things that people want. The, the rocky soil is the things that people don't want, the trials and tribulations. The, 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 the seed falling among the thorns are the things that people chase after, the riches and pleasures of life. Uh, they, they chase after there, and they never get a chance to, pr- pr- to actually produce fruit because the thorns choke it out. It's the cares, the riches, I need more. I, uh, yeah, I, I will start going to church once I, 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 I just work a little bit more. I'll start reading the Word of God more and getting more serious about my relationship once my schedule frees up more. I'll, I'll start committing more to God once I get this or do that or when, when I settle down or whatever the case is. And, and this, this individual is just chasing after the cares, riches, and pleasures of life. But the fruit never matures. They never bear anything. Remember the power of the seed? The seed is powerful. The seed can yield more than we can even count. Immeasurable what it can yield. A single seed reproducing, reproducing, reproducing. But this person never produces. Because they're chasing after things that are vanity. As Solomon put it in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, a chasing after the wind. Pursuing after these things, but never actually receiving. So verse 15, and as, as for the good soil, they are those who, <clears throat> oh, I just lost my place here. Um, and as for, that good, as for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So the good soil is that heart that's ready to receive. Now notice it's hearing and holding it, holding it fast, not letting go of this word, and an honest and a good heart. There's a confrontational aspect here, I believe, because we, the Bible tells us things about man's heart, that, that man's heart is wicked. And uh, we, we know that that's a product of our fallen nature, that, that our heart is wicked. It's deceived. And so, so I, I, you know... And this is my interpretation of the scripture, but it, it's hard for me to say that they're holding fast in an honest and a good heart. I think there's actually a, a confrontation happening here with the word of God that they grab hold of the word, they recognize it as truth, and they let, let it purify their own heart. They let it pierce. They let it confront. That's what it, the idea of that honest and good heart. They're receiving it and, and allowing it let God be true and every man a liar. God, if you say this is true, I'll receive it. God, if you say I'm wicked in this way, if my attitude is wrong, I'll receive it. God, do your work in me. And in patience, they bear fruit. Now, just consider this idea of bearing fruit. Of course, Matthew's gospel talks about bearing uh, uh, a multiplication of fruit. Luke, Luke's gospel leaves that out. This could be another period of time or it could be the same period of time. It's just Luke chooses to include what he includes and Matthew includes what he does. But understand this idea of bearing fruit with patience. Uh, anyone who plants a tree or a garden has to be patient. They've got to wait. 
But there's something marvelous that happens when you see that that tree starts to bear fruit or that garden starts producing fruit. It's actually pretty exciting. You come out there one day and all of a sudden you have fruit showing up. And it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. That little, that little flower, you get that flower and then all of a sudden it starts becoming fruit. And then, then you, you just be patient. You wait and you see the fruit just keeps bearing. But one of the things I've noticed about that garden or that tree, and I, I've watched for this. I'm, I'm looking for the straining of that tree. I'm looking for how hard it's working to make this fruit happen. I'm looking for it sweating and working hard. Sometimes I listen to my fruit trees in the backyard. Are they groaning? No, no. They're just doing what God created them to do. Just bearing in their time and season. And that is true with the believer who receives the word of God. You will bear fruit with patience. In your time, in your season, God will bear fruit. And it will multiply and multiply and multiply and multiply. So you just hold fast to the word of God. It's a beautiful parable. And, of course, it, it causes us to ask the question, what is my heart? What soil is my heart? Am I one who receives the word of God joyfully, holds fast to it, and I'm ready to do it? Or am I one who have kind of, I've, uh, maybe I'm the, on the path, and, and it's the word of God has come, but I've never really received it. Or, or maybe I'm the rocky soil. I, oh, I believe. I had a moment of belief, and it was like real emotional and experiential, and boom, gone. Or maybe it's that I've been chasing after the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to hold fast to the word of God so that you might receive and bear fruit. Now look at verse 16. And we're just going to get through this tonight. <laughs> Boy, I was really ambitious with what I thought was going to happen. Uh, verse 16. Uh, this goes along with that parable. It says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it up with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. So once again, we have another parable that goes along with the parable of the sower. And it's this lamp on a stand. Again, we're talking about receiving, hearing, and doing the word of God. First of all, the, the lamp. If, if when a lamp, when your life is illuminated, when there's a lamp put out, you don't say, oh boy, it's, it's dark in here. Let's put that lamp under a bowl. Rather, you put it up high. You get it up high so it lights up the room. I, whenever I go to uh, Africa or missions and stuff, I always carry this little uh, blow-up lantern. It's a little LED lantern, solar charged, and take it with me everywhere because it's just great. You never know when there's light. In Africa, they call it, we've been shaded. Or we're shaded, and it means that there's uh, no power. Uh, <laughs> so they call it being shaded, like uh, uh, sitting in shade under the sun, right? But there's no electricity. And so you never know when the power is going to go out. And, and so this, one of the things I do is I take uh, this little lantern and some, some paracord, and I get that lantern up, and it lights up my room. It's great. But I never take that lantern and, and turn it on and throw it under the bed. One, I don't want to see what's under there. But two, <laughs> the, the, it does me no good there. No, I, I'm, I'm going to put it on the bed. I'm going to let it illuminate everything. For nothing 
is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And uh, there's two ways I think we can take this. One, there's that, that aspect of our hearts that nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Man, let God's light light up my heart. Let it light up every, every dark corner. Let it light up every cockroach that's in there, whatever the case is. Let it all flee. Uh, let God's word do its work and flee. And, and because nothing is going to be uh, remain secret. So that's one way we can take this. The other way we can take it is just that whole idea that God is manifesting. He's making knowing his kingdom. He, he's allowing us to understand his kingdom. And then he goes into verse 18 saying, take care then how you hear. For, for to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. There's an obligation when the kingdom is revealed to us, to also go and share, to also give it out. There's an obligation for us to not just be receive, but to, to go and give, and, and more will be given. For the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. And so as we, as we kind of understand this idea of this function, it it provides the light, the lamp provides light to those who enter a room. Jesus' proclamation illuminates truth, the truth of the gospel. It illuminates the life, and it also reveals things that are previously concealed. The message of the gospel demands a response, and it lays bare the thoughts and the intentions of people's hearts. And that's why some people want to run away from the light, and some people want the light to expose it's better to be in that place where the light exposes. All right, last thing we're going to, uh, we don't have time. We're going to call it. We're going to call it a night. We'll, next week we're going to get into Jesus' family and we'll, we'll finish, well, I don't know if we'll finish Luke 8. We'll see how I do here. So, well, let's, let's finish here with some, uh, some, some thought about this. I, I want to encourage you, let's, Let's let God's Holy let's let the Holy Spirit illuminate our, our hearts. And um, what I want to do is let's go ahead and pray. And I want you to, to, to ask the Lord, search me and know me. Illuminate. Lord God, Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful, that it's effective, that it's sufficient, that it does everything that you've commanded it to do. Lord, that your word bears fruit. And Lord, so we, we come before you and we say, search us and know us, Lord. Any wickedness in us, Lord, we ask that you might expose, that we might honor you. Lord, we confess our sin to you. We confess those things that we've kept hidden. We've, we've tried to keep it in dark, hidden places. But God, we know that your word exposes. And so, Lord, forgive We thank you for your goodness toward us, Lord, that you even reveal yourself to our wicked hearts. We thank you, Lord, that you offer transformation and new life. And so we hold fast to your word. For in it we find life and godliness and everything we need. We thank you, Lord God. We pray you bless this congregation and as we seek you this week. Lord, may you reveal yourself to us in new and marvelous ways. May we grow closer to you each and every day as we walk with you. Just as the disciples journey with you, Lord, we want to be on that journey. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Okay, I have a homework assignment for you all. That's right. You come to church and get homework assignments. Uh, this week, maybe you can spend some time in Psalm 119. You can go through the Hebrew alphabet and learn all about the Word of God. For as it ends, it says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. May God bless you as you seek him in his word. As you walk with him, may he enlighten your life and be a lamp to your feet. Amen.